Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Racial identity, socialism, the role of art in society, the responsibilities of artists, and the position of artists in popular culture, and the impact of American culture on art around the world. If I told you these were the subjects we're going to be talking about today, you would think it was a conversation about 2021. In fact, they're all part of the remarkable life of Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. And they are all part of a new biography by my guest, Celia Starr. Celia Starr is a professor at the University of San Francisco, where she specializes in modern American and contemporary art, with an emphasis on feminist art and gender studies. She holds a Ph.D. in art history from the University of Iowa, and it is my pleasure to welcome Celia Starr here to talk about Frida in America, the creative awakening of a great artist. Celia Starr, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's a delight to have you here. Talk about your decision in looking at Frida Kahlo's life to focus in on this period of time, essentially, that she spent in America. Yeah, well, I, you know, had been taken with, with Frida Kahlo from the very beginning. I mean, as an undergraduate in the 1980s, I first, you know, discovered her in an art history class and I just wanted to know who is this, you know, who is this person? At that time, there wasn't a lot known about her. But um, as I, you know, uh, I did my first art history paper on Frida Kahlo. I wasn't even an art history major at that time, but she in part made me want to become an art historian. So after I um, got my PhD and I was teaching at the University of San Francisco, I had an opportunity to give a paper at a conference about artists, women artists working between the two wars. And I've always uh, approached art history from a cross-cultural perspective. And so I thought immediately of Frida Kahlo and how she would be a great person to work on because she's Mexican, but she's in the United States between the two wars, um, specifically between 1930 and 1933. And so it just seemed rich with possibilities. And so that uh, original conference paper turned into another paper I gave at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art on the occasion of their 2008 exhibition of Frida Kahlo. And it was really after that talk that this feeling inside of me grew that I needed to write a book about this. There were so many unanswered questions about this time period. And specifically, I wanted to look at not only the impact on Frida living in the United States during this very tumultuous period. But I also really wanted to look at her creative process. And so those are two things that I really tried to, um, you know, unfold in this, Mm -hmm. in this book. Talk a little about the nexus between those two things, the way her visits to the U S and the, the, that three year period that you talk about between 1930 and 1933 really drove and altered and shaped parts of her creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe that when she came to the United States at, at 23, I think she had everything inside of her that she needed to have this creative breakthrough, which she has in San Francisco in 31, and then again in Detroit in 1932. But what happens, I believe, is that because she's in the United States, uh, a place that she was, I would say, felt ambivalent about, you know, there were things she really loved about it, but there were lots of things she found disturbing and, and even hated about the United States. 
particularly the disparity between rich and poor. But then she has also her own personal traumas. And I think all of these elements um, came together and almost created like a combustible energy. And so it just started to flow out of her. And so this place, the United States of America, ends up really being, I think, a catalyst for all of these things that were already inside of her um, to come out, you know, and they manifested in this amazing breakthrough art. And they came out in her art, but they also reflected themselves in, in her attitudes that shifted in so many different ways in, in terms of, of being a woman, in terms of her feminist attitudes, her Mexican identity, her political values at the time. Talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, when she, again, when she comes here, she certainly has a, a strong sense of her Mexican identity. She wants to represent, I think, Mexico while she's in the United States. But at the same time, she is the wife of Diego Rivera. And that's really how she's known when she comes here. He, Diego Rivera is very famous. He's here to create murals in San Francisco, Detroit, and New York. And, and she is often seen by the press as you know, the petite wife uh, of Diego Rivera. But she's really carving out you know, her place. You know, she wasn't happy to just be seen in that role. And, and so I think through her, her photographs that are taken of her and her, so her choice of outfits that she wears and the choices she makes in terms of her art are really to show her as something much more than just the little petite, you know, uh, senorita. <laughs> and, and so you, one of the things I talk about in the book, for example, is when you get to Detroit in 1932, when she's really having a lot of important breakthroughs on so many levels, she creates this painting, self-portrait on the borderline between Mexico and the United States. And it's filled with lots of images and it's a, it's a complex, interesting painting. But She's in the center on this border marker, and she's wearing this very nice colonial-style pink dress. You might think of it as, you know, very feminine-looking, you know, in a traditional sense. But yet, if you look closely, what you realize is that she also makes her, her nipples show. And so it's, it's also her being this provocateur. And, and so that's part of, I think, what she is uh, trying to establish while she's here, is how, you know, trying to kind of push the envelope, if you will, right, to see how far she can go. Uh, and, and so I, I think that that helps her to also define who she is. To what extent did she start out comfortable being a public person? And, and to what degree did she kind of grow into that role? And how difficult was that for her? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, I think in the beginning, you know, what I try to show in the book is I think she's looking around and trying to figure out what persona she wants to take on as the wife of this great, you know, muralist. And he was a controversial figure in Mexico and in the United States as well. But they get married in, in August of 1929. And you see her start to carve out this place for herself in her art, in her self-portraits, but also in what she wears. So she, when she met Diego, she would often wear a rather androgynous uh, outfits, you know, um, jeans. Um, sometimes she looked like the you know, like communist comrade. Sometimes she'd wear overalls. But then she starts to take on more the image of the uh, 
Mexican nationalist, where she's wearing the peasant-style skirts, and, and in particular, choosing various uh, rebozos or shawls to represent Mexican women. And, and Mexican women of all classes wore these shawls. And so uh, she's really starting to use that persona in her art and then in her life. And so that's one thing that you see really take off in San Francisco, where she's photographed wearing these outfits, and then she also incorporates it into one of the paintings she makes in San Francisco, a painting of her and her husband. Did she benefit in terms of her own development, in terms of her work as, as an artist, by initially being in Rivera's shadow and, and the need to move out of that seems to be the thing that drove her in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think one, I've studied uh, artists who have been marginalized prior to this, particularly in relationship to the abstract expressionists of the 1940s and 50s. And one of the things that I've found is that sometimes being in the shadows can be a positive in that it allows you to work out some of your ideas and come into your own without the spotlight being on you. Now, you know, it can cut both ways. It's also, of course, very difficult to be in the shadows. But I think it was something that because Frida had such a strong personality, she was able to do it. Uh, And because I really think that, that she was, certainly an equal to Diego and she, you know, an equal on every level. Uh, So she could spar with him intellectually uh, in terms of art, uh, you know, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think it helped her initially to just be able to develop her own style, her own visual vocabulary. Uh, And at the same time, she's constantly, I think, watching him and seeing how his career is taking off, watching in the United States, who are the important players? And I think she was actually trying to position herself even in terms of her career here, which is something that that we haven't really known too much about until, uh, you know, what I've written about in the book. Because of letters that she wrote home, you can see her talking to her mother about an exhibition that, that she wants to have here in San Francisco. I don't, that never seemed to have happened, but she's thinking about it and she's creating art for that purpose. So she's not just creating art for her own personal interest, but to have an exhibition. And I think that's significant. Then there were the other relationships that she developed with other artists, particularly other women artists. Talk about that. Yeah, this is another area that, that really fascinated me because, again, there wasn't much written about this in this time period. And, yeah, what I found was in San Francisco, she is actually meeting up with two, uh, two women artists, um, Pele Delop, who was quite young and was actually going to art school at the time, um, and um, also um, another, excuse me, another artist who... Um, She's also, they're also all, you know, hanging out together and they're creating these, these drawings. They're um, experimenting. And there was this influence coming out of surrealism where, um, you know, you would try to free up the contents of the unconscious by just kind of allowing your, your 
yourself to just create whatever comes to mind. Or sometimes they, these, these three women would get together and they would have an assigned theme. Like one theme was um, maternity. And then they would just create again, whatever came to mind and they'd pass it around a piece of paper and they would all add their own take on it. And I think this was really important for Frida just to, to a be with other women and experimenting with art because another thing you find is that typically women artists of this period don't get together and create art together. They don't even talk about their own art that much. And so I think this was really significant. It's also significant because according to Pelle Delap, she says that Frida created a, a drawing at that time uh, of a, a man who had stabbed his, his wife. And this is something that, and I've never seen the drawing, but she describes it. And this is something later that will come out when she creates a painting called A Few Small Nips. Uh, and this happens after she goes back to Mexico. And it's a very bloody painting of a, of a man uh, who stabbed his girlfriend to death. And he claims in court, well, it was just a few small nips. And it's a brutal painting. And so you see the, I think, the beginnings of this interest in being able to put onto canvas um, images connected to blood, connected to physical pain, to brutality towards women. And I, so you see the seeds of that painting really coming back to, you know, 1931 in San Francisco. Um, the other thing I want to point out is, according to this other artist, again, Pelle Delap, that Frida said in one of these encounters they had creating art, let's draw the bloodiest thing we can think of. <laughs> and so this image of, again, or this use of blood becomes important for Frida, uh, and you see it taking off in the United States, but it's something she will continue to work on with her mature paintings into the 1940s. Her understanding of, of pain and difficulty, how much did that come out of what she had suffered as a young person? She, she had polio at one point. She was in this terrible car accident. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, she even told a reporter in the 1930s that she liked to depict blood. And she said, I don't really know why. But then she said on reflection, she said, maybe it has something to do with this terrible um, bus accident I was in when I was 18. And, and so she herself yeah, connects this interest in blood back to this, you know, horrendous moment and, and a pivotal moment, obviously, in her life when she was 18 and was got on a bus in Mexico City to return to her home in Coyoacan, not too far, about an hour away at that time by bus. And the bus was struck by an electric trolley that kind of burst through the middle of it, of the bus. And, you know, people were thrown and she ended up with her clothes ripped off due to the impact. And, but yet she was covered in blood. And then apparently there was a, a man on the, on the bus who had some gold um, pigments. He was a, a painter apparently. And, and the, the gold pigment flew out and landed on her bloodied body. And I think this image of her with this horrific scene but yet this beauty at the same time, <laughs> you know, with her body glistening in blood and gold. In a way, it, 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 it ends up being, for me anyway, an image that 
you can see throughout her life after that. This combination of incredible beauty combined with incredible pain and, and, and horror at the same time. Um, but I, I think she utilized it well in her art. But yes, that ha- that's the moment when she um, her life changes drastically. Talk about the evolution of her feminism and, and how she saw that her role in that. Well, that's a great question, too. I um, think that part of that, part of her feminism is, can be understood because she saw herself as what she called a child of the Mexican Revolution. And the Mexican Revolution, of course, is wanting to make, they're wanting to make vast changes in, in Mexican society. They're wanting to um, create more equality, particularly for the, the lower classes, the peasant class, the workers. And a lot of women, you know, strong Mexican women come out of that. They're, they're also interested in, in having women have more rights, but it doesn't really, um, you know, it's, they don't get the right to vote, for example, you know, until uh, I think it's 1953. And so I think Frida's feminism comes out of that understanding the importance of equality for everyone in Mexican society, because prior to that, it was really, you know, the, the, there was the very, very rich at the top. And then, you know, everybody else was quite, was quite poor. And, and so wanting to have that sense of equality. And I think also because she, in many ways, could say she was raised more like how a son would have been raised at that time than a daughter. And one thing you find is a lot of women artists have supportive fathers. Uh, you know, I mean, going back to this earlier per- these earlier periods when it was very difficult for women to become professional artists. And she, Frida Kahlo certainly had a supportive father. Uh, I also think though, that her mother was supportive in many ways, too, and that often gets overlooked. Uh, but that certainly you know, benefits her because she takes on this image of the androgynous figure and I think tries to really pursue her life in a way that is outside of the norm from, from early on, even before the bus accident. But the, but the bus accident then propels her into being an artist. And, and so um, I, I think she was constantly trying to find her position within this male-dominated society, both in Mexico and in the United States, uh, as a strong you know, uh, figure. In some ways, maybe seeing herself more androgynous than just female. How did she see her work competitive with Rivera? Talk about that. Well, I think, of course, she always thought that, you know, Diego was a great artist. There was never any, I think, doubt in her mind about that. She, I think one of the things that's, that's tough with Frida when, when you're trying to ascertain how did she view herself as an artist is that she often made um, self-deprecating comments. And, and so you can easily think, well, she didn't take herself seriously as an artist. She was, a, she was just dabbling, as, uh, as one of the reporters said in the Detroit News. But that was, I think, a, a cover in some ways. And it was, it was coming out of her in part because one of the things that Frida disliked was pretension. She didn't like pretentious people. And I don't think she ever wanted to come across as pretentious. And I think talking about her work in a serious manner, especially in the early periods, 
I think she felt that might have been pretentious. However, because she used humor in so many interesting ways, uh, she does say in Detroit, in these a couple of newspaper articles, that she's really the great artist. You know, she says something about like, oh, Diego does, does well for a little boy, but I'm really the great artist. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, of course, on the one hand, it, yes, it's intended to be tongue-in-cheek, it's funny, but I do think there's something there that we can take away from it that I think she did think that she was doing some, you know, great work. Uh, but I don't think she would ever say that in a serious manner. And so I don't know if she felt that she was competing with Diego because he's doing primarily murals and she's doing easel paintings. And also he, he did really value her, her work and he valued her opinion about his work. So I don't know. I don't know if she felt that she was in competition with him. How did she view his work? I think she thought that he was telling the story of the Mexican people, uh, both the story about their history prior to the, in, the invasion of the Spanish, uh, Cortez and his you know, conquistadors, but also what happens as a result of this, of this invasion. And, and I think she felt that he really understood, you know, the history of their, of their country well, and that, that he was well situated to paint it on the walls of, of Mexico, you know, and to tell this important story. And so I think she, she, you know, realized that he was, that he was, you know, brilliant, uh, both as a, as a, uh, technically, you know, technically he, he could do pretty much anything, but also, uh, read the history of the country and, and, you know, was very well versed in it and, and, then could, could combine both, combine both his, his knowledge of the history with his ability to put it on the walls and paint it in a way that was powerful. Now, I would also say that, that when I said earlier that Frida was his equal, I think she did the same thing, but in her, her own way and in her easel paintings. And so, yes, there, a lot of these are paintings about her and about people she knew, but she also incorporated elements that connect to the history of her country. What do you think is the primary reason for her resonance today? The fact that she is, she's seen even more powerfully than Rivera is today. What is it that, that really has given her that power, that resonance? Yeah, I think, I think it's been a process. And so if you, if you look historically, you know, I talk a little bit in the epilogue about how at the time of her death in 1954, she's, she's really not that well-known. She does have an uh, important gallery exhibition right before she dies. It does very well. But then we really don't hear much about her until the 1970s. And then you're starting to hear more. And what's happening in the 70s is that you have the, the birth of what we call the feminist art movement or feminist and feminist art history, where art historians and artists are really looking around, they're saying, okay, well, where are the women artists? You know, Linda Nochlin wrote this, this now famous article, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? And it, it's, it really becomes this process of trying to understand, you know, why were, why were women excluded from what we call the canon 
you know, what, what, was, what did they have to go through to become artists? And also then you're seeing more women artists written about. And Frida Kahlo starts to be written about in this country. Um, of course, by 1983, you have Hayden Herrera's biography of her. And I think after that, then um, we start to learn more and more about her, her art. And so I think she, she resonates because one of the things that comes out of the feminist art movement is this slogan the personal is political. Actually, it's the, it's the feminist movement, but it enters into the feminist art movement as well, that the personal is political. And so you start looking at her very personal works of art and seeing them not only as personal expressions, but things that relate to um, the political, to how women have been um, treated politically, socially, etc. And I, so I think all of the things that she was dealing with, you know, she was a cliche, but she was ahead of her time in so many ways, where she's foregrounding in her art um, aspects of her, her disability um, in terms of problems she had with her, her leg and her spine. And you see that in her painting. She's showing it, uh, you know, in the works of art. She's not hiding it. Um, in terms of race, you know, dealing with aspects of, of race, the Two Fridas, a painting that's become very well known now, shows one side darker skin, the other side lighter skin, because she was a mestiza. She had, you know, part German, part Spanish, part, part Indian. So, you know, you see all of these different elements in terms of gender. She, she wears a, a man's suit and self-portrait with cropped hair. Uh, and so you see aspects of, of gender, race, um, Issues connected to disabilities, uh, to also her sexuality. There's a painting of two women, uh, two, two nudes in a, in a forest, where you have two women who are uh, caressing one another. And, and so, you know, she wasn't afraid to, to put herself out there. And, and so I think all of those are issues that we're interested in today. Celia Starr, the book is Frida in America, The Creative Awakening of a Great Artist. Celia, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.